Welcome to Toothnomics, the podcast about the business and economics of running your dental office. Hello, and welcome to Toothnomics. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Clary. Today, we're joined by speaker, author, and coach, Catherine Gilliam, RDH. Catherine will talk to us about how elevating the standard of care in your practice can lead to a high return on investment. And in Toothonomics 101, we'll look at the cost of money. As always, we'd like to thank our generous sponsor, Cirrus Dental. Whether you're looking to move away from PPOs or boost your patient satisfaction, Cirrus Dental can help you set up and run a successful in-office membership program. Visit MyCirrusDental.com to learn more about and sign up for a free personalized webinar. That's M-Y-C-I-R-R-U-S-D-E-N-T-A-L. So today we have Catherine Gilliam, a practicing registered dental hygienist and the founder and CEO of Periolinks, as well as the education director for Oral Cancer Cause. She's a published author, consultant, and speaker who works to empower dental teams to elevate their standard of care. Many practices have experienced declines or challenges with their hygiene departments in the current COVID environment. How can elevating the standard of care they provide change the economics of their practice? So in my opinion, that is the absolute answer to these tough times that we've been having with the pandemic. If we elevate the standard of care and we help patients understand what we're doing for them, they're much more open to the treatment that we recommend. So it starts with really educating the doctor and the team so that they understand what these connections are between the mouth and the body and how to use that science in their clinical protocols. And then we talk about how to help patients understand what we've done. And when patients learn what we can do, even if it's not something that will benefit them in particular, I think they have higher respect for us when they understand how much effort we put into uh, learning and implementing new technology into our practices for them, they understand that we really care about our patients. And when they feel cared for, um, and certainly when they feel listened to, then they accept treatment more readily, and that results in higher productivity. So many practice owners equate increased standard of care with increased time or cost. How does increasing the standard of care affect the bottom line for a practice? I feel it definitely is an increase in cost in certain ways. The investment is in education for the doctor and for the team. And sometimes the investment involves uh, hiring a coach like me to help implement once you learn about the science. Um, And once you determine which parts of uh, oral systemic practice you want to add. Are we talking about adding ozone therapy? Are we using lasers more? Are we doing more DNA testing? Are we using a microscope? Whatever types of um, technology you want to implement, if you need help with that, that's where I come in. Um, There's also an investment um, in time spent with a coach is another investment in learning how to communicate the new things that you're doing and the improvements that you're making to your patients so that they can understand the value. Um, and there is an investment in that technology that I just mentioned, if you're going to buy a laser or a microscope, but all of those things will result in quite the impressive return on investment. So for example, if you buy a microscope, which is one of my favorite pieces of technology, um, and you show a patient on a little 25 cent slide that takes 30 seconds to make, 
um, when they see the active bacteria in their mouth, they're asking us for treatment. So our, our time explaining to patients about a disease that they don't know that they have and that they typically can't feel uh, at this stage of the disease and that they might have to spend some money to take care of, you know, the time it takes to explain that is significantly reduced when they can see that bacteria on an active slide. So the return on that is tremendous. And in addition to that, not only are they accepting treatment, they're bringing family members in to have treatment as well because they understand from our great communication skills that it's a communicable disease. Uh, and also they're referring friends and family because we have this technology. So for me, it is an investment. It does take time and money to practice this way, but that investment is, um, has a, a very high return. And how does the standard of care and a practice align with the production power of a hygienist? Well, it definitely increases production per hour. Once once there's a little bit of lag time, we always understand that there's that uncomfortable phase when you're first learning and you're first uh, integrating something new. But once a hygienist begins to be confident in her understanding of the science and her ability to communicate it to her patients, uh, once we're over that initial phase, we see tremendous increase in treatment acceptance. I have uh, clients who during the pandemic at the worst possible time in our dental history um, have increased between 36 and 48% in periodontal percentage. And those are great numbers. And that was just a matter of helping them understand the connection between the mouth and the body so that they could help their patients understand about inflammation and the damage that that can do. And then helping them explain the treatment that they're proposing, maybe some more, some pearls. It's not really something that I like to script, but maybe a few pearls for uh, communication skills. And then patients understand they accept treatment and the numbers go up. And this is all treatment that we know people need. We know people are being seriously underserved when it comes to gingivitis and periodontitis. So it's very um, heartwarming for me, not only to see my practices grow, financially, but their patients are being better, better cared for. And that, that's what charges me up. <laughs> so, so looking at it from a little bit different angle, what associations do you see between case acceptance and practice standards? It's absolutely the same, same type of thing. When people are communicated with in this way, part of this standard of care is about involving your patient and partnering with your patient so that they feel um, heard and understood, that they know their concerns are a priority, and that you're bothering, quote unquote, to take the time to explain to them what they need and listen to them about what they want. It becomes such a different type of relationship. So when we have that type of relationship with our patients, treatment acceptance increases. Uh, and again, it's not a matter of having to convince somebody. It's really more of a conversation about, this is what I see. This is what I recommended prescribe for you. How do you feel about it? What would this mean to you? And um, very often the conversations are shorter than we expect. And it's a little bit surprising because people like to be in relationship. They like to be heard and understood. And they like to um, know that we care about them as individuals. 
So many dentists will hear a great idea and they leave very excited about a change for their practice, but ultimately have trouble implementing the change. What do you say to a practice owner who questions how they can implement the changes to improve their standard of care? It, it has to be a team approach. So often dentists will go to a course and they come back fired up with these great ideas and then they present it to the team and it falls flat. And I've actually been told by team members before that they just wait it out. They just wait for the dentist to calm down. It'll all go back to normal and they won't have to do the extra work. And that is so disheartening, but that's a perfect example of a team who does not understand the value of what the dentist just learned and wants to implement. So the absolute most important thing is to train the team along with the doctor. Sometimes these courses are very expensive and it's not practical to take the whole team, especially a large team. And that's another time that I'm brought in to help. I can help train the team in the office. And once the team sees the value, they have, to, they have to understand the value for the patients and the value for the practice, as well as for themselves. So, you know, it's human nature to be more willing to work hard if they see what's in it for them. But it's not always financial. You know, we usually think of the dollars first. And yes, you know, if we grow this practice in this way, there may be bonus money or some other value like that for the team, a team trip. But there's also a lot of value in that professional satisfaction of taking better care of your patients and exceeding your patients' expectations. And those types of things, you know, you can't put a dollar amount on that. Um, but that's a very real benefit to growing your practice this way. And when, pay, when uh, team members understand that, they're more on board. Um, and then there's also, you know, kind of a great satisfaction of working for the practice that's the most sought after practice in town. Uh, you know, so there's that aspect of it too. And, and helping to create that is very satisfying. Um, and when the whole team is on board, that's when those new ideas get implemented. Do you have any examples of practices who have increased their standard of care and how it has impacted their profits? I have one team that increased their hygiene department production by 38%, and that was during the pandemic, and that was by implementing gingivitis therapy and periodontal therapy. And then another team, this team was in Colorado, they increased their periodontal percentage by 46%. So almost doubled their periodontal percentage. They implemented gingivitis therapy, periodontal therapy, laser treatment. And, you know, as I coached them month by month, they were not exhausted by almost doubling what they did. They were excited. And, it's, and when we do this type of work, and I'm a practicing hygienist, so I do it too, it's so satisfying that you may be tired at the end of the day, but you feel victorious. It's a Tony Robbins thing. Um, it's so exciting to do the right thing for people and to have them appreciate it and then know that you're building this practice and making it better for everyone. Um, but I do have lots of examples of clients who have gone from absolutely never doing gingivitis therapy to tripling. Uh, and far, far exceeding anything we ever expected. Once teams understand the benefit to the patient, and really hygienists are so focused on um, not numbers, but on patient care. And once they see the value of intervening early to prevent so many systemic diseases, the numbers just follow. 
for me, it's very, very exciting to, to work in this kind of practice and to coach these kinds of teams as they begin this journey. How do patients respond to the changes in standards of care? Patients are always impressed. You know, I talk to my patients all the time about what I've learned and what we're doing for patients. And like I said, it's not only that you have to talk to them about the things you can do for them, but just in general, this is what we learned how to do. This is what we've uh, implemented so that we can take better care of you and um, so that we can have a safer practice so that you can be healthier. All of these things, people really, really appreciate it. They love knowing that you're making an investment in time and money and developing a kind of practice that will take much better care of them and their family members and friends. So how do you suggest dental offices evaluate the effectiveness of the changes they've implemented? I use numbers. And at first, even for me, I was a little bit put off by numbers when I initially worked with a coach myself because I was a little self-righteous and I'm here just to take care of patients and it's not about the numbers for me. But once I learned that the numbers can tell the story of the level of care we're providing, then I became very excited about numbers. And especially for the patients or for the practices that I work with that are not local, all I have to rely on are the numbers because I'm not there 100% of the time. I can't see what they're doing. So I look at their production reports and I see how many procedures they're doing of higher level type of treatment. And I know those patients are, are getting the best care. They're getting healthier. And um, I think that's the most important thing. Monitor your numbers, know what you're getting, set your goals and watch those numbers and hire a coach to help you interpret what those numbers really mean. Can you relay to our listeners some of the best practices for standards of care? I think the absolute number one best practice is to develop your vision and really clarify for yourself what that vision is so that then you can turn around and help your, your team members understand what the big picture is. The second thing is to educate your team and make sure that you have the right people on board because you can't do this alone. So the right people are those people who are whatever it takes kind of people. You're not going to hear someone say, that's not my job. Those are not your people. When we're talking about this level of standard of care, those are not your people. Your people are uh, very special people who are in this for the long term, who are in it for the right reasons, and they buy into your vision. Um, the next thing is to make sure you work on communication skills with your team members so that you can clarify the vision for your patients and let them know why you do what you do and how important they are to you. And then also to be able to communicate them the level of care that you're taking, the, the level of um, practice that you're creating is not the standard of care that we agree to when we take our oath, when we become professionals. This is a much higher level of care. And when you can communicate that to patients, you really increase the trust they feel in you and that will increase treatment acceptance. Those are probably my top three. Excellent. Dentists are constantly hearing about new things they should be doing, but what do you say to the dentist who wants to determine if the new idea is better than their current practices? I live in a world of more than one right answer. So the first thing to do is evaluate what you're currently doing. And it may be wonderful 
but there's almost always room for improvement. So if you see there's room for improvement, then if an idea sounds intriguing, I say try it. I don't think there's any harm in trying something new and then evaluate it. And if you're getting the results you hoped for, continue. And if you're not, let's try something else. You know, I go into practices with lots of ideas and I'm not married to any of them. So we try them out. Some things work fantastically well in certain practices. And then when I try it with another team, it may not be as exciting. So we just keep massaging and changing things and growing. And I love to try new things. So I say, if you're at all interested in a new idea that you hear about, let's give it a go. It's not written in stone. Let's give it a try. It, it could be fantastic. And if it's not, we'll try something else. How can our listeners contact you? I can be reached at Catherine at periolinks.com and I'll spell it. It's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N at P-E-R-I-O-L-I-N-K-S.com. Or if any of your listeners would like to just go ahead and set up a complimentary conversation, they can find me on calendly.com and I am calendly.com slash coach Catherine. I understand you'd like to make a special offer to listeners of Toothonomics. Can you tell us more about the generous opportunity you're providing? Yes, Dr. Cleary, thank you. I'm offering your listeners a special price of $500 off of the regular monthly coaching fee when they sign up for a year of coaching, and they mentioned that they heard about it on the Toothonomics podcast. That's a savings of $6,000, and I started this special at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm going to continue it at least through April of this year. So if any of your listeners sign on by April, the special price will go for them for the next 12 months. Now for Toothonomics 101. Today, we'll look at the cost of money. Most things we buy have prices so we know the cost of those items in dollars. But what is the cost of a dollar? Whenever you need to finance something in your practice, whether it be purchasing a building, paying for a renovation, or covering the cost of expensive new equipment, it's important to consider not just the cost of the item you're purchasing, but also the cost of the money you're using to purchase it. If you have the money on hand for an item, or you can get a 0% interest rate loan, there's no cost to the money. But as soon as you take out an interest-bearing loan, it's time to consider the cost of the money you're spending. For example, if you need to borrow $100,000 for 10 years to pay for a purchase, and you borrow at a rate of 4%, that item is costing you about $121,000 when you include the cost of the money. So next time you borrow money for a purchase, be sure to include the cost of money when considering the purchase price. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to our podcast and tune in next time for more on the business and economics of your dental office.